one aw shit wipes out 99 attaboys. We can fly 99% of the time and do everything perfectly, but that one incident, that one accident, that one time that you let revenue get in the way of safety, that one time can wipe out all of that success. Acknowledging leadership is not bragging and it's not being arrogant. It's accepting the responsibility that you have as leaders in the industry. Come to work every day with the weight of that responsibility, but the confidence that you can do it and do it right, and then go home proud of the job that you did that day. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 2% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Woo! Welcome back. I've got a great one in store for you today with Tom Walker, who is CEO of DroneUp a leading technology company focused on commercial drone solutions. They tackle last mile delivery across multiple industries, including medical, construction, food and beverage, retail, and smart city logistics. You probably didn't know that the world of drones covered so many industries. Now, DroneUp, back to them, was founded back in 2016, but the last few years have been incredible. In 2022, DroneUp opened 34 delivery hubs in six states in partnership with Walmart. And to support this growth, they also opened up a dedicated training facility for flight engineers in Virginia. Now, prior to working in technology, back to Tom, he spent almost 17 years as a naval officer, pioneering military and government digital reform through extensive reprogramming and web enablement of computer systems to support both U.S and International Special Forces. He's also served as an advisor to the White House on technology innovation and its impact on the emerging workforce. We're going to dig in deep on drones today, everybody. Tom, welcome to Lead the Team. Hey, Ben. Thank you for having me. Y'all, we have not covered this. 178 plus episodes. We have missed the boat on this, and we are making up for it today with Tom. Tom, what do leaders today most need to understand about what's going on in the drone industry? Well, it's a great question. And 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 I think, you know, just a few years ago, uh, people were still even trying to figure out what drones could do. Now, I think we're starting to understand the capabilities that they bring to uh, revolutionize the way some people do mm-hmm. business and, 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 and certainly normalize the way others do business. But the important thing to note today is that, you know, I, I said a few years ago, I was in an interview like this and somebody said, what do you call people in your industry, in this drone industry? Do you call them pioneers? You call them visionaries? I said, no, I call them batshit crazy. And here's why <laughs> we started a business in an industry not knowing exactly what it was we were going to be selling to customers who didn't really know yet what it was they were going to be buying in an industry that the government had yet to figure out how to regulate. Okay, yeah. So it's about as risky of a startup as you could do, right? Now, yeah. move forward a couple of years. Now, people are starting to see how we can use drones from the aerial data collection, cell tower inspections, and you name it. 
but now also in this final mile delivery and 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 the numbers are staggering in terms of the safety and the efficiency and but now that the last part of that is the regulations and and up until about a year ago we weren't really seeing any movement in the regulations to clarify exactly how we were going to operate these things and now finally the industry's come together uh, the FAA has come together. Congress has come together. We just dropped some legislation a couple of days ago to really start laying the pathway for true beyond visual line of sight. I think leaders need to know that now is the time if they're not using drones in their business or in in in, in their organization, they certainly should be having a conversation about it because mm. we're really seeing significant impacts and improvements in businesses all over the country. Okay, awesome. I want to get to those questions that leaders need to be thinking about for drones. But I want to clarify something first. So you mentioned the regulation. So for leaders, and make sure I'm getting this right, you you to operate a drone commercially, you have to be able to maintain vision, line of sight to the actual drone, right? Like so, so you can't fly it miles and miles away and not be able to see it. You have to maintain visibility, which has limited the the commercial opportunity. So Absolutely. Far. There are okay. some waivers that, that are out there that allow okay. people to do it, but they're few and far between. And, the, and it's rule by exception. And what we are trying to do and mm -hmm. what's really going to make a significant difference is when there becomes a standard for which operators like us can operate beyond visual line of sight. It, it, it will uh, enable you to do, to do further inspections, to actually do things that uh, where the drone is ca capturing enough data that that it becomes more valuable than having to do it uh, in the traditional means. And, and that's very close. I think that we're going to see that beyond visual line of sight within the next year, which is so, I've never been able to say that. So, so for company leaders listening right now, they probably they may think of drones in two different ways. One is it's like a little toy. That right. you have on your lawn and you're flying it into your neighbor's house. I'm not saying I did that, but I might have the on accident because the wind's blowing it over. The, and then on the other side, you hear these these stories on like the journal podcast or the 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 daily podcast where they're being used in in like like warfare. Right. Okay? In between that, though, is probably the business opportunity. How would right. you describe for someone who's only used to hearing about the warfare side or the toy side to what's commercially possible. You know, there's so there's two different sides in the service industry. That's what we call the aerial data collection services, where we fly mm -hmm. over, we do inspections and whatever. And then there's delivery. But let's focus on the aerial data collection because that's where a lot of business folks don't quite really realize. If you think mm -hmm. about it, these these drones, these unmanned aerial vehicles. Um, are, 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 are new and, and obviously they're the new component in this ecosystem. But the sensors that they use have been around, whether it's a thermal mm -hmm. sensor, whether it's a, 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 a visual sensor, whether it's okay. a, uh, you know, some type of, of, of other specialized sensors, those have been around for a long time. But what the drones are allowing us to do are to take those sensors and put them affordably in places. So, for example, a mm -hmm. large manufacturing facility that would have a, a heating and cooling uh, sensor test done by flying over using thermal and measuring the different uh, uh, temperatures throughout the roof to identify potential mechanical failures or, or heating and cooling leaks. We can now take that would cost twenty five thousand dollars for that manned aircraft to fly over that. We can now take a drone with a thermal sensor and for about $700 fly over and get the exact same result. So wow. if you think okay. about the things that you're already doing, whether that's 
having people climb a cell tower to do an inspection. And we know that you know a handful of people are injured every year in these. We can now take a drone. We can get high resolution data, put it through various different analytics programs and get the very same result without having to put people up on those towers. So if you think about it purely from a being able to see something safer and more efficiently uh, and, and, and more cost effective than you've ever been able to do it before. That's where drones really are playing a key component. Mm. Um, I, I say cell tower over and over because that's, that's probably the fastest growing sector of our aerial, uh, inspection business are, are, are the cell towers. Because they're so tall and they're often placed in random places all around and they're not always easy to get to. They're not always easy to job. get to. And then there's a lot of processes you have to go through to be able to get the permit to climb the tower. And then, you know, you got to climb the tower, you got to kind of take pictures, you've got to make inspections, and then you got to climb down, then you got to go process that data. You know, by the time we're done flying the tower, that data is already in process and usually complete within 30 to 45 minutes. So, and it, and it, and it, it costs about 6% of what it costs to have, believe it or not, to have somebody uh, climb the tower, inspect the tower. It's, it's just, it's much more cost effective. Wow. But we see that all the way across Hmm. roof inspections, following storms, um, you know, residential roof inspections. We do inspections for a couple of the largest insurance companies in the world. Uh, and and we can go out and do an entire neighborhood um, in a fraction of the time that it takes a roof inspector to go around, pull a ladder off a truck, climb up on the roof, walk around. Uh, again, r- more rapid response, more affordable uh, and safer. I mean, that's that. If you kind of if you kind of wrap everything up into the benefit drums being the business, I would put them under those three categories. Wow. Okay. So let's say you have a COO or a CFO listening today, and they're like, you know what? Yeah, I'm a manufacturer. And uh, we're, you know, we're getting blasted by inflationary press, uh, pressures, and we need a way to to, uh, to save cost right now. Uh, what's the question that they should ask themselves to sort of as they like? What's the mental model of what they should be asking themselves to know if drone, if like drone up or using drones is, is a real cost savings opportunity for them? Well, I think you know the. the- one of the things we always say is we'll never know your business like you know your business, but we know how to operate drones and collect data. The real question for organizations becomes, how do I process that data in a manner that makes my company more efficient or makes my product better, right? Okay. And so one of the things I'll go back and tell you a story is when 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 we first started this business back in you know, uh, 2016, 2017, we just assumed that every insurance company on the planet was going to call us and say, okay, we want you now to go out and do inspections following storms. And nothing, right? I mean, hmm. and then we got a couple of opportunities and we went and did them. And then they called us back and they said, yeah, that's great. We love the data that you collected. It's beautiful. We won't be needing your services anymore. And the question was, well, why? And so when we went and sat down, what we realized was we were collecting such an enormous amount of data, new data, high resolution data that we could run through all these processes. But when you went into their internal process in the organization, they had a way of doing that. The inspectors climbed the roofs. They faxed in the roof report. The people sitting in front of these desks would type in the roof report. It then had a process that it went through. They had Mm. no way to even take our data and ingest it into their processes without continually re-engineering their processes. Well, then you go, okay, well, why don't you re-engineer your processes? Well, we haven't had the opportunity to recognize the value that this brings. 
So it had, when you're talking about bringing drones in as a component of your business, it isn't just we can collect better data. It's okay, what does that data do? Does that data really help us? In other words, did they really, and this is what we found out, did they really need all of the data that we were collecting in order to uh, you know, adjudicate an insurance claim. I mean, it really, we were giving them a hundred times more. It took us working with them over a period of 18 months to say, okay, what do you really need? Re-engineer our processes to collect only what they needed, then make our data go move into their process in a way that didn't disrupt the system. So I mm-hmm. think one of the things I always say to people is, rather than you sitting down at your desk in your conference room and saying, how can we use drones? or us coming in and just pitching you on how you can use drones, let's sit down and talk about the data. It's not about the drone. It's about the data that we collect. What format do you need it in? Is there data we could collect that you're not collecting now because it's not feasible? That would have a fundamental impact. So what I would tell leaders is 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 is, is reach out to an organization like ours and, and let's have a conversation. Even if it's not for today, I promise you drone, drones will be a part of your business processes in the next two years uh, or two to three years. So start the conversation today. Wow. So I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing that story like a Pixar movie. One for the kids, one for the adults. So, yeah. so yep. there, congratulations on figuring that out. That that's, And so it's a very interesting process to how drones can amplify and create opportunity for business. But it's even cooler to me the the leadership move that you made where you're like look you know i'm excited about drones i can feel your energy today you're probably a whole company is probably jazzed up about what we can do but at some point you have to go in as a leader remind us like why are we in this right drones to a lot of people are like a toy and they get excited about it and they're doing all this data and i can see me geeking out over the data but you're at you asked the question well what are they, what's the, what's the insurance company? What are they, what can they handle? What can, what do they really need? And how can we make sure that we're giving them just that? Cause I can see you going in and just driving all these amazing slides and presentations. At the end of the day, they're like, how, how do we even use this stuff? Cause we're processing thousands of claims and we just can't get there. And so you kind of reeled back a little bit and it sounds like you, you really started with them first. And as I think about that for my business too, think about what is the, what's most valuable to the customer and make sure that's so obvious to them that they, and they can immediately use it and get a benefit out of it. And it sounds like from that point on, you guys are able to get traction in that industry. Is, is yeah, that right? Was it wasn't that, just that, that industry. Point? I mean, and your, your point is a good point. It's actually, we rebooted with every industry that we were ah. working with. It, wow. it, 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 we learned this lesson that when the phone call would come in, uh, we would start with a series of questions. What are you, what data are you wanting to collect? Uh, we have three A's that we always ask in any of these processes. Is it, is it actionable? Is it achievable? And is it affordable? Um, and meaning, um, is, is, is the data that we're collecting, is it actionable? Does it create actionable uh, opportunities for the organization? Is it achievable? Meaning, is it something we can do over and over again and get the exact same data and the same quality so that you can use it? And then third, is it affordable enough? Because we know, we recognize as business people that you we're not replacing, we don't come in day one and replace a process. This has to be done in parallel. 
because until they understand and fine tune how to replace the data they're using today with the data that we're collecting. So we have to make it affordable in those early days. And affordable doesn't necessarily mean cheap. Affordable means that it's worth the investment that they need to make and they're willing to make the investment and we're willing to work with them initially on what's probably a limited process opportunity. But we know that once our data starts to become ingested into their processes, then we're going to continue to have a customer for a very long time. So, so good. And this is the way technology changes occur in industries, probably like if you look back over history, you know, that people are early, they get excited, but you have to sort of get through. I don't remember all the different levels of innovation, but I know the laggards are on the far side of the equation. It takes a long time to get down. But once you get there, the momentum's incredible. But yeah, yeah, it takes time. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. So for the listeners, I'm just pointing out some things here that Tom's talking about. One, you just learned, you just got the Cliff Notes version on what's going on in the drone world right now. And Tom's also talking about how you drive innovation across multiple industries when you have a great technology. And also probably some flat, I mean, how hard was it in those days when you're walking in, you're talking to a company and you see so many things that your customer could be taken advantage of and be improved. Like you see, you see a whole new world for them, but they're not ready to hear that yet. Right. How how hard is it to sort of swallow all the excitement and start where they are? Well, you know, I think uh, that comes from being in business for a few years. I'll tell you a funny story. Before I, you know, in between the military and here, I, I worked for my wife's company. She was, she was CEO of a technology company that developed mobile apps applications. And uh, I remember I was in a presentation in Chicago to a very large company. You would know the name. I won't say it. And and I was pitching them, uh, me and my team, on developing a mobile app for them. And we we're excited about mobile apps. We just knew that what is going to change the world. That's actually what got me my uh, my little stint in the White House was mobile mobile technologies. But oh, okay, all right. But uh, when I uh, when I when I remember presenting, and I remember the guy sitting in the front of the room. And he was an elderly gentleman. Had been the CEO of the company for quite a few years. And he said, "Tom, I'm just going to be candid with you." we think this mobile phone, mobile app thing is going to pass. So we're just, uh, we're going to sit and wait for that to happen. And I remember just shaking my, I want to pull my hair out. I had hair then and, 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 and thinking to myself, you really think this is going to pass. Um, and so I learned then that I, I could pitch it as hard as I wanted to pitch it. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is people are motivated for their reasons and not mine. So the best thing that I can do is understand what motivates them and see if there's a way we can fit this in. Uh, it's kind of the same with, mm. you know, philosophy we've taken with drones is uh, we don't really do a lot of outbound conversations because we really wait until um, businesses come to us. And we do have a lot of calls where they say, Hey, we're just thinking about this. What can you tell us about drones? And we we love having those conversations, but the conversations we really like are when a new leader comes into an organization or there's a regime change or a pivot in focus and they say, okay, now we want to look at all of these different technologies and see how we can optimize the organization. 
And we get to come in at that base level of organizations where maybe they're looking at re-engineering their ERPs. They're looking mm-hmm. at other t- other types of optimizations throughout the businesses and drones. Because one of the things, even in delivery, I tell people, and they sometimes are surprised to hear, I say drones are not the answer. Drones are not the answer to the final mile. Over the next 10 years, you're going to see the last mile totally revolutionized. And it's going to be a triangle. It's going to be drones. It's going to be autonomous vehicles. And it's going to be electric vehicles. That's going to be the triangle of the last mile. And so we kind of go into it with humility. It's a it's humility is a thing you'll hear in our culture. You'll hear every if you if you spend any time with the company, you'll hear humility. It's mm. something we pe- preach every day. And it is the humility to understand that we're one leg of those three uh, there. Same way back on the traditional services. When we're talking to to companies, we're not in there with our with our capes on saying, you know, hey, look, we got the drones. We can solve everything. We just know that these are a piece. These are data collection devices that can be used to augment their current augment or replace current data collection methods and hopefully fit into a bigger, broader process of optimization within an organization. That's really how we go into and have that conversation. Love that. And it's a good reminder for us. I love that story about the guy who's like, Hey, this, this app thing is going to pass. Like it's, right. it's, it's a fad. That's what he called it. Fad. It was a fad. Yeah. This app thing's a fad, of course. And uh, I, it goes back to, understanding how the brain works and how decisions are made and how the a lot of the research that I've seen shows that decisions are made in the limbic part of the brain, which do not respond to rational thought or numbers. Right. It's based on trust and emotion. And so if you overwhelm them or if we present and we overwhelm them with an idea that they're not quite ready for, like an app, I guess, for this guy, <laughs> he's like, that's that's never going to happen. And so it's a great message for all leaders to be thinking about this. Although I'll say um, it's important to introduce these conversations. Leaders really, I believe it's a leadership responsibility in organizations for them to br- introduce new conversations. Maybe the company's not ready for it, but the conversations got to start somewhere. And I like one of the things I've already liked about this interview is you've given them a lot of ways to kickstart to introduce the drone conversation into their company in a way that maybe they can start to wrap their, their minds around it. What's your favorite drone success story? Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's a tough one. You know, I'll tell you one of the, my favorite stories, and I think it's a success. And I'll start it out by saying, one of the things I like to say all the time is that, you know, uh, Four years ago, you had a better chance of getting hit by a stray golf ball sitting on your toilet than you did the media running a positive story about drones, right? Um, <laughs> every story was negative. Drones, were, if, if drones were in the news, it was a negative story, right? And then when, when, the, when the pandemic occurred and we were given the, our first opportunity to work with Walmart, it was to do COVID test kit delivery, right? Contactless free. We would fly the the COVID test kit to your house. And there were a variety of reasons why we did this with Walmart or Walmart did this with us. But one of my favorite stories I like to tell is um, you could either drive to the Walmart and drive through a line and get your COVID test right there, or you could go online and order it and we would deliver it to you by drone. 
And so there was these people in North Las Vegas, several of them, and they would they were like, I am not driving up to the Walmart. I'm not getting in my car. I'm not taking any chances. Just fly the fly it to me. And we would fly it, deliver it. They would go out and they'd get it. And then they would get in their car and they would drive to the Walmart to tell us how cool the experience was. And and just to have them like drive up there after they said they would never drive up there. And, and and then all of a sudden, the lines of people who just wanted to learn more about it and ask us questions and the chance to do that. And then we suddenly saw that's the first time we had a media story about drones in the news, and it was a pretty big story. And then we we went to El Paso, and we were doing the same thing in El Paso. And one of the comments that was made by somebody in El Paso was, it's so great to see a new technology like this at a time when the world really needs it. And I think hearing that and seeing the narrative shift over the next two years to where more and more stories were positive about drones and more and more communities were reaching out, wanting us to come into the community and start conducting delivery operations for them. Um, I think it all goes back to that very first, you know, opportunity to do it being able to do it. We went into uh, that operation with Walmart over a nine-week period. The goal for us was to do about 100 deliveries uh, just to prove into neighborhoods that had never been done. Uh, we did almost one, I think we did 1,300 over that nine-week period. Uh, so that operation was a success from start to finish, both from the ability to prove to the FAA and prove to the communities that we could do it safely um, and that the communities wouldn't come out rioting against us uh, but then, you know, also uh, the opportunity to shift the narrative um, on the from the public standpoint. Yeah. The pandemic was such a terrible time for the world, but also companies that stepped up and leaders that stepped up and were willing to embrace the opportunity found huge, huge momentum moments like that. And I just we grew we grew a thousand and four percent in the twelve months following the 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 initial. Uh, kind of serious notice of the uh, pandemic. Yeah, I mean, it's just a remarkable. And I think we're going to hear more and more about these stories. But sometimes you got to dig and you got to understand. And these in smart companies like yourself that are more nimble and more flexible, you're able to seize on the opportunity. Yeah. Um, You know, your background, Tom, is quite interesting. And here you are, you're doing apps in the White House. You're doing drones. You have a naval background. What what has your career been like through this? Like what what were maybe a couple of those moments, inflection points that led you to where you are today, sort of leading the the drone revolution? Yeah. Well, or evolution in some ways too, man. Right. Well, there's a lot of us leading. I mean, I I'm just one of those uh, leaders, but I'm I'm humbled by the opportunity to be one of them. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing, you can almost start today and work backwards and tell that story. Hmm. One of the things about our company um, that we're we're known for is our culture. Um, yes, we're, we, we're the largest drone delivery company in the US and we're probably among the largest services companies in the United States. But if you go backwards and you, you look at our company um, today, you know, we grew from 12 people in January of 2021 to 72 people in January of 2022 to 600 today. And when I saw that, I knew that growth was going to happen. I went back to the very beginning at 12. So if you turn back time, when we were 12 people, I brought in my chief people officer, Chris Cravey, and I said, here's the thing. 
I said, I have served my entire career in small teams. I was on submarines as a nuclear engineer. It's a small team that takes that thing out for six months and you don't get to pick up new riders along the way. You got to do it with who you got to do it with. And you got to have a really strong, great team of good culture. And, and then I left there and I went to the special operations community, small teams, got to get a lot of done, got to trust each other, got to take care of each other to working with my wife's company, which was a small kind of tiger team, special ops team to here. And I said, Chris, how do we keep that small team culture, that thing that I've been used to my entire career, that thing that I know how to lead, I know how to lead small teams. How do I have the largest small team on the planet? Um, and so we really started about building that culture, those 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 fundamental core values that we live by, that today we still live by. And that's one of the things that I'm most proud of. We grew that growth rate, I told you, with a 98% retention rate. The company's 52% diverse, 26% veterans. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's such... On paper, it's something to be very proud of. In person, it's something to just it, it, it adore. And 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 I think you asked me how those things. It was how do I fight to keep small company culture, regardless of how big. And so far, um, I'm I'm proud to say I think we've done a pretty good job. So, what is it like working? Like think back to those times. Uh, small team culture. What is it like to work in a small team or small team culture? What's the experience like? Um, so in our culture, for example, here, and 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 I and and I'm gonna say that here because I'm I'm gonna see if that answers your question because small mm -hmm. team cultures are what matter. You know, one of the things that we do is we 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 empower people to make decisions. If I as I've worked with larger companies, it's I see the bureaucracy. I see how difficult it is just to get an answer sometimes. And so one of the things that we sat down with and we said with 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 Chris and said, what is it about the small team that we like? What is that? And it's mm -hmm. that we can make decisions quickly. Okay, good. How do we make decisions quickly if we're 600 people? And the answer is give people a blueprint to, to make a decision and they'll make the right decision every time, right? So for us, it's simple. Everybody that comes in the very first day, they hear from me the following. If you need to make a decision, you can always make it and it's easy. The first question, is it right for our people? The second, is it right for our brand? The third, is it right for our industry? If it is, make the decision. You don't have to go up the chain of command. And a lot of times people come back and say, well, wait a minute, you didn't mention the customer. And I said, because mm -hmm. I don't want the customer getting in the way of us taking care of each other first. And so mm. that's that's the decision tree, and 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 that's an example of, um, you know, that small company culture. I mean, people are making decisions on the deck plates. As long as it meets the three criteria, nobody's ever going to get in trouble for it. What great guidance! And I hope people are listening or taking notes of that. Um, and and you're right. You know, I think if you take care of each other, you're going to naturally take care of the customer. It's just going to happen. That's what when I tell people everybody. People are kind of in it for themselves or they're confused. They start making decisions that probably don't help the customer as much. <laughs> but if you're taking care of each other, you're like, yeah, this is how we operate. This is what we do. I can see all that, that, that really uh, can give it that small, that small team culture vibe, even at your ex rapid expansion rate. Um, man, that's, that's a fast 
that's explosive growth from an on an employee front. Uh, we, what, what's your secret secret to recruiting such great talent? Um, you know, I, everybody that interviews with us, even the people who don't get jobs, I get feedback from them that they just feel a real sense of people first with us. Um, yep. and, 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 and pride, but in a different way, right? So one of the other things I say to employees the very first day, team teammates, when they come on board is we don't gloat, we don't beat our chest, we succeed or fail as a team and we don't fail. And it's that constant kind of push, you know, people always ask me, what's the one thing if you could, if you could inject every new employee with one character characteristic, what would it be? Right. And I'm like, that one's easy. I know the answer to that one. That's humility, right? Because in our organization, humility is 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 just powerful. I tell people in my organization every day, strength without humility is just a weapon. But strength with humility is power. Power to influence people to get things done. Power to make the right decisions. Power to hold people accountable. Power to be willing to be held accountable those things. So it, it, we, we never, ever, you'll never hear us say we're, we're the best. You'll never hear us say we're the greatest. You'll never hear that in any materials that we market or anybody that speaks on behalf of the company. Uh, it's, it is, it is a culture of people first and, and, and humble operations. Well, it flows from the top people. And yeah, I would say, uh, I tried to say you were, you were the lone person revolutionize the drone industry. You're like, I'm proud to be part of multiple, multiple leaders that are doing that. So, uh, I thought that was, yeah, I, I totally get that now. When's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and how did it lead your, to your growth or success on down the road? Yeah. So funny, funny question. So I would say the, that would be the start of this company. So, you know, I told you I was working for my wife's company. Um, you know, she had built up a very successful company was doing very well. Mm -hmm. Um, I came in and started working for her and worked for her for several years and then got this idea to start the, the, the drone business as a side thing. This was supposed to be a side project. I was going to borrow a developer here or there, um, and, but wouldn't impact our business. And, you know, within about six months, I had 80% of all the developers working for me, but I had no money. I couldn't pay them. So I was just running up this huge debt. <laughs> and, um, you know, she finally pulled me aside one day and she said, I'm going to have to stop treating you like my husband for just a moment and treat you like a customer. You need to come up with a way to pay me. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I probably should. And so I was like, well, this is Being easy. That got pretty interesting at that point, I suspect. Yeah, the, the whole conversation and it goes home with you. Oh, That's you're buying. <laughs> And so I, um, I, I said, well, that's easy. I'll go raise money. Um, I'd never raised money before. I'd never, ever raised money from investors. But I was like, how hard can it be? This is a really good idea. The problem was I didn't have a business plan. Um, and like a lot of entrepreneurs, and I really didn't have a path to profit. Heck, I didn't even really have a path to revenue. And so I was going out pitching this and... I was incapable of raising money. I mean, at that, that time, I just, I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get anybody interested. And we, we started slowing down development. I mean, at one point we actually considered, which is scary to think about today, we actually made the decision to just terminate the company. And um, I, I actually called a friend of mine who was an attorney and I said, Hey, um, how do you shut down a company? I've never done this before. 
And he was like, why would you shut it down? I'm like, I don't know how to raise money. He said, come on, let's go to dinner. I'll teach you how to raise money. Um, and, uh, and then two, dinner. it was a good dinner. And, and two weeks later we had raised our first $250,000 and we were off to the races. So, you know, I think the twist was almost conceding you know, defeat and, and then finding a way to pathway to victory by trying to talk to the person to help me, uh, consummate the defeat. <laughs> oh, I love that story. And that dinner, what that dinner, that dinner was worth a quarter of a million dollars. So yeah, I hope it was, it was a good dinner. I, I think in the McDonald's. end, it's going to prove to be worth a little, little bit more than that even. But yeah, it was a good dinner. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 he's an investor and and uh, still serving on the board. So hopefully he's on the Christmas list too. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, what a great story. Okay. Well, Tom, um, man, this has been a good interview. I, I've got a lot more questions that we did not get to. I feel like I should open it up to you though, because your stories are just so engaging and humorous. What? So take it. So you choose your own adventure. What? What question do we not get to that you have a story you want to share, or lay a couple of leadership success strategies on us that you want to impart? Either, either one, or another way you want to take this, but just just roll with it. You know, I, I, I'm not really good at that. I, I will tell you that um, I, I think that uh, one of the things that, you know, I, I, I mentioned our people first and I, I, I'm, we're really proud of that. Right. But, you know, another thing that we we have these sayings in the company and, uh, you know, people matter most is number one. You'll see that everywhere. People matter most. And one of the things I'm really proud of is that when I go out into the field and I go visit with people that I've never met with out in Orlando at our hubs or whatever, mm-hmm. And I come up to them, they they shake my hand and they tell me, I love working here because a lot of companies say people matter most. It's true here, right? And 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 so it's not a tagline. It is, I believe, one of the most important keys to our success. You know, one of the other sayings that I say to to the teams when when we have team meetings is be proud but not arrogant, confident but not cocky, and don't tell others how you're better. Tell them how you're different. Let them decide if it's better. And it is, again, that whole thing of keeping everybody level, happy and proud that we're doing what we're doing, but understanding, you know, when we're out in the field, we had an old saying in the Navy, you probably heard it before, and that is one aw shit wipes out 99 attaboys. We can fly 99% of the time and do everything perfectly, but that one incident, that one accident, that one time that you let revenue get in the way of safety, that one time can wipe out all of that success. And because we have a leadership role in the industry, now I told you, I'll never say we're the best. I'll never say we're the greatest, but acknowledging leadership is not bragging and it's not being arrogant. It's accepting the responsibility that you have as leaders in the industry. I tell the team all the time, we make a mistake. It doesn't just hurt drone up. It doesn't just hurt the customer. It hurts the entire industry. And so come to work every day with the weight of that responsibility, but the confidence that you can do it and do it right. And then go home proud of the job that you did that day. That's how we run the company. That's how I lead the company. Man, Tom, thank you for coming on the show today. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. 
head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.